Today we do celebrate joy. It's one of my favorite weeks of Advent as we uh, prepare our hearts as for celebrating the birth of the Christ. But you'll notice that each of these candles have a color and they all mean something. That purple is a color of preparation. It's a time that we kind of more solemnly kind of think about, prepare our hearts for, for who Christ is, remembering that, starting with the hope that God has given us, the peace that God brings. But joy is different. It's a rose-colored candle, and why would that be? Because this is just the week to celebrate, a week to remember that uh, we have a joy that is bigger than this world, one that is more durable than anything else. It's a week not to prepare, but just to rest and to celebrate as we uh, then next week get back on and preparing our heart in the love of Christ. Uh, that's where we are. And so uh, joy is an amazing thing. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's misunderstood, though, and we'll be talking about that today, is how do we have joy in the midst of this, this world? Let's begin, like, uh, this is a season that uh, some people give and receive gifts. It happens uh, from time to time, and I don't know if you have ever received a disappointing gift. Has that ever happened, right? And uh, you don't feel a whole lot of joy in that moment, typically. Uh, and, and I think a lot of us in this world, we recognize that life is a gift, but sometimes life can be a little disappointing. Uh, and, and in that moment, when we are struggling with the disappointment of this life, sometimes we struggle with, with having joy. In fact, uh, joy does uh, something that, uh, uh, it's, it's not just something that we, it's just a gift to us, <laughs> we'll find in Scripture. It's something that we can, can look to and attain to. But disappointment, disappointment just happens, Right? And it's really, it's a Grinch. And I think one of the things as we look out in this world today, if any of us were satisfied with the state of the world, were contented with the way that we see this world to operate, there, I think there's a brokenness deep inside of us. And so we're going to talk about today how in the midst of this world and in the time of, of difficulty, just like uh, when those shepherds were on that field watching their flocks at night, that the angels give them a message of joy. How is it that they were supposed to find joy in the midst of they were low uh, on, on the totem pole of society? They were working uh, hard jobs, kind of ostracized from others, uh, and that didn't change. And the fact that they were still under a Roman occupation, the fact that they still had to pay high taxes to uh, a Caesar whom hated them. How is it that that God gave them a message of joy that they could leave rejoicing. Well, I think one of the things we understand is that, that the message that the angels gave, we heard that, was not, we bring you a message of great happiness for all the people. And there's a reason for that, is that oftentimes we confuse joy and happiness, and that's why we fail to live in the joy that is ours. So let's, let's talk this morning a little about happiness and what is happiness? If we look at it, happiness is just exceeded expectations. That's what it is. If you're happy, it means that things went better than you thought they were, right? And uh, so we'll just, I'll illustrate this for you because you know I like drawings. And so here, let's just take a look. See, these are your expectations. Say you set your expectations kind of mid, right? Like, uh, and you think, all right, this is going to be pretty good. I don't know, maybe you wanted like a, a new pair of sneakers for Christmas or something like that, like a mid 
kind of thing, right? But then reality comes in, and you don't just get like a whole new pair. They're like rocket sneakers. They're like the best. They're like like uh, Italian leather shoes. Like something like really nice. Exceeded those expectations, and you open that up, and and what happens? Well, there's a gap between your reality and your expectations. It's it's big. And so what is that gap? Well, that gap is happiness. And the bigger the gap, the better the happiness. People, that's why you go to hole-in-the-wall restaurants, because you go in knowing that I expect this to be horrible. But occasionally, you get a great meal, and you're so happy you tell everybody, don't you? This is where happiness comes from, right? This is where we, we go. So happiness is just when our expectations were exceeded, and Jesus did not exceed the expectations of the, of the people. Right? I and mean, that's sobering. That, that the expectation of the Messiah was the very thing that put him on the cross. That Jesus didn't go and just wage a mighty war against the Romans. Right? That, that God didn't do what the people had expected. And so it wasn't a message of great happiness for all the people. In fact, let's look at the opposite of happiness, which isn't sadness. I'm going to say it's disappointment. Because if we see that happiness might be our reality minus expectations, disappointment is unmet expectations. That you have expectations really high, and your reality just doesn't live up to them. Right? That gap between the two is where our disappointment is. And the bigger the gap, the more disappointed we become. So, you know, you wanted a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas, and you end up with pink bunny pajamas. That's a gap! Right? And the bigger the gap, the more disappointment. And a lot of us in our world have high expectations of, for our life. We have high expectations for how we think this world is going to be. And that's not wrong. But the reality is that the world oftentimes comes up short. This is a paradise, but it's a broken one. And so many of us live in this state of, of disappointment. Because we have eternity in our hearts. We were meant to be in paradise. This is what we were hardwired for. And yet, this world has fallen short. And it will never live up to the expectations of eternity that God placed within us. And so, our disappointment, as we recognize, is, is expectations minus our reality. That's, that's just the way it is. Now, those that are in marketing recognize this. Right? They, they manage expectations for their product. Make it good enough that you'll buy it, but not so good that it won't live up to the, what you know, they're promising. Right? The, the, the idea is that we don't want to disappoint people. We want to make sure that we manage our expectations. Or you try to manage your reality, try to make things better. So really, how do we deal as humans with our, with our disappointment? Well, we try to either, one, improve our circumstances right? We, we want our reality to be better, so we, we work really hard, and we, we, we try to, to control as many things as we possibly can. Nothing wrong with this, by the way. We, we improve. We try to make the world better, right? So that's one way. The other way is then we can lower our expectations and just not expect as much in this life and in this world, and that's the other thing they do. But, you know, that, that's okay, but those are coping mechanisms, Neither of those really affect our reality all that much. And we're not in control of all things. And if you live your life running from disappointment, you're going to be exhausted and you're going to be terrified because we can't control this world. It just does weird things out of nowhere. And God has a different solution for us. Not that there's anything wrong with being disappointed. Not that there's anything wrong with happiness. Happiness is great. 
But God calls us and offers us another route, a way away from this crazy cycle of happiness and disappointment and happiness and disappointment, nothing to do with what we can control. It's exhausting. And so let's read about that. If you have your Bibles, you turn them to the book of Philippians. We're at the very end of it, chapter 4. Now, Philippians is a book of the New Testament. It's one of the uh, happiest books in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi, a church that was actually a thank you letter. But if you consider the circumstances under which it's written, the joy of this book is profound because Paul was in prison awaiting potential and likely death, being mistreated for doing Nothing wrong other than telling people that God loves them, that Jesus came and he could forgive them, that he preached the gospel, good news, and that because of proclaiming good news, which was contradictory to the narrative of the time, he was persecuted and put in a prison, tortured and about ready to be executed. And the Philippian church, hearing this, having great love for the apostle, sends a gift. They want to make sure that he can eat and has clothes and those things. And so they send this, one of their, their deacons up there, elder, to, to help bring this gift to Paul while he was in prison. Man, Epaphroditus, he goes and he brings this amazing gift and he's there and he's ministering to Paul while he's in prison. And Epaphroditus ends up getting sick to the point of almost dying. Eventually, Paul prays, and, and the church prays, and Epaphroditus gets a little better, and he gets well enough. And in the midst of that time, Paul writes a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. He says, thank you for remembering me. Thank you for your kindness and your support. When Epaphroditus recovers enough, Paul gives him the letter, and it's, it's returned back to the church of Philippi. And in this letter, Paul goes, and he doesn't just say thank you for your gift, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God demonstrates and teaches not just the church of Philippi, but all of us, the power and the secret of joy. It's an amazing book. And if you get to the very end, near, near the very end of it, starting at verse 4, we read this. Paul, in prison, writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Ooh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so he ends here with contentment. And oftentimes we think about contentment. It's like Paul learns to be content. His circumstances weren't great. I think the world may have disappointed Paul a bit. Right? When he was a young man in synagogue and he was studying, he was learning, he was studying from the highest things, he, he had this vision, this opportunity of what life would look like. And then he met the Messiah. 
And instead of being esteemed and, and being honored by all the people when he would walk into a synagogue or amongst the people, he'd be greatly honored and he had this life of, of, of ease and, and all those types of things that he had expected. When he started to follow God and he began to teach people that the Messiah has come, which you would expect to be really good news and, and there'd be a time of great rejoicing amongst the people, what happened? Some accepted and others rejected him harshly. He was beaten. He had people throw rocks at him. He was to the point of death several times. He had uh, physical maladies uh, that struggled him, the thorn in the flesh. I mean, it was, it was not the life that he had expected. A man of honor and of, of, no, of, uh, of, of kindness, a man of, of intellect, a man that you would think that he would be the furthest thing from any prison, finds himself in prison multiple times. He was what's known as a repeat offender. And what was his offense? That he told people the truth in love. I mean, his expectations of life certainly were met, and his expectations of a holy God when the Messiah came were not quite what had happened for him. And yet, he says, he starts with this, he learns being content. That, that his reality, whatever it was, he wasn't going to let that rock him. That's what contentment is. Recognize that God is in this. And, but contentment isn't joy. He just says in all these circumstances, he has contentment. He learned how to do it. Now, how did he do that? Well, his contentment was the beginning. It's a foundation for the joy that he begins to command us to have. So let's go talk about joy. Joy starts with our reality. That's where Paul was. Right? Wherever your reality is, you're going to have that much joy. So if you have, you're in a good place in life, things are going well, stuff's pretty happy, you're going to have a higher base for your joy. You could be content in that. Like they, right? And if things are really, really rough for you in the moment, because all of us have life goes up and down, I don't know if you've noticed, and if you're in a place where things are difficult, you end up getting a sickness or somebody you love passes away or you have lost your job or other kinds of horrible things, right? In reality, your, your experience is it's harder to have joy. Just naturally, as humans, most people, this is where their joy comes from. They have a joy just based upon where the reality is. And contentment lets us be okay with that and say, well, things are good. I'm happy with that. If things are bad, I'll be okay trusting that this is not the end. And so contentment allows us to not just suffer horrible disappointment or, or be thrown into the throes of the addiction to happiness. It allows us to be stable wherever reality goes. But, but joy doesn't just ends with our reality. This is the difference that Christ brings to us or that, that faith brings in, is that joy is reality, but it also includes for us something much, much better, and that is hope. Right? And so on top of our reality, we looked at what we hope for. Right? And so wherever our hope is, however our high our hopes become, that's where our joy will then go to. It starts with where we live in life. It's not just putting our head in the sand, but it's also looking at what we expect to be in the future. Right? What we, we hope for. And so um, we have like Paul. Paul was in prison. His reality wasn't great. His experience of life, not ideal. And yet, he had joy. Why? Because he had a great hope. He knew it wasn't about today. He knew that there was something bigger coming. He knew that all this was purposeful. Right? All of this mattered that he had a greater hope. I read uh, a, uh, a story that was, uh, I think it was in 2008, 2009. I remember we had that, that uh, the housing market kind of crashed. And uh, there was a story that I read on 
it was like Yahoo News or something like that, but it was a guy that was a, uh, was a, a real estate dude, right? And he had lost a lot of money because the market in Florida kind of tanked. And so you would think that his expectations of making a profit did happen, and he would be very disappointed because he lost a ton of money. And yet, the article was there because the guy wasn't just all distraught. He wasn't like, oh, he had this idea. He's like, you know what? I am now buying up more land. I'm buying up other properties that are really on sale now because I have a hope, I understand that the market's going to go back later. And then, later it did, and there was a follow-up article, and the dude made lots and lots of money. So in the midst of all of this thing, his hope was what kept him. He was joyful. He was like, bad economy, no big deal. It's an opportunity. Well, that's great and all, but what if the economy didn't get better? Like, really, our hope is, uh, it, it, it's, it's got to be in something firm, <laughs> right? And so, yes, the, the greater our, our hope is, the, the greater our joy will be, right? So if you have higher hopes, you're going to have higher joy. But if your hope is not built on something solid, like if, if you have this hope that, I don't know, that you're student loans are going to get paid off and then they don't, right, then it's going to let you down. And all this joy that you had on a future thing that you thought was going to happen doesn't happen, all of a sudden what do you get? You're disappointed because your hope became an expectation and the expectation wasn't met and then you're disappointed. And this world is great at crushing hopes, isn't it? We put our hopes in great things, but if our hopes is not something that's durable, then it's our joy becomes, it becomes weak and flimsy. It becomes something that we can't depend upon. And so we find that uh, this is the state of most of humanity throughout time, which is a lot of times why uh, the older a person gets, the less likely they are going to put their hope in other things. Because they've just had it dashed so many times. But even Scripture is honest about this. In Proverbs 13 it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If we keep hoping for things, great things, but they keep letting us down, then our hearts get sick. We become disappointed and discouraged, and there's not joy in that. But of course it says a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So misplaced hope disappoints. If, you, if you're hoping and like you're going to play the lottery and that's where your retirement's going to be, you're probably going to be disappointed. Right? That there's misplaced hope. And it's going to disappoint you. It's going to make your heart sick. This is not uh, a, a thing that's because the downer. It's just a warning. It says, listen, be careful of what you put your hope in. But if hope is placed in the right things and it's fulfilled, it's a tree of life for us. Right? So biblical hope is something that we're called to. It's very, very different than the hope of this world. That we don't hope for things that might not have happened. That's why we celebrate hope at Christmas time. That's why we celebrate joy at Christmas time. Because our hope is not in what might be like this pretend thing that might happen, that we're, you know, even the odds might be decent for it. Our hope is in a done deal. Or we celebrated that the very first week of Advent. That's why we begin there. And our hope is also includes this peace that we have between us and God, a peace that, that leads uh, to a, a sense of, of of harmony between us and other people, right? See, biblical joy is trusting what we have, a confident assurance, it's already done. And how do we know it's already done? Because Jesus became flesh, that God walked 
among us. That's why we have greater joy. Is that it's not just that we were having prophecies that the Messiah would come, but we celebrate the fact the Messiah has come. That's why the message of the angels was, I bring you, we bring you a message of great joy. Why? Because born unto you this day is the Messiah who is the Savior of the world. And then the armies of heaven, which is what the host of the company, the host, that means the armies of heaven, stand before and sing before humanity an amazing peace treaty. The armies of heaven say, peace on earth. God's armies stand down because God's favor rests on you. That's good reason to have hope that God is not against us. He is for us. It's not wishful thinking. He put, in, he put on flesh. He came to this world. He walked amongst us. He lived on this planet for 30-some years. He, he, he did miracles that were recorded in, in the presence of many, many people, verified by so many, died on a cross publicly and rose again undeniably. Well, that's a solid hope, not in what might be, but what has been done. And this is why hope is greater than happiness. It's not wrong to be happy in this life. In fact, there is a happiness awaiting us, all of us that are in Christ, that it's a, it, we, we long for, we look forward to it. It says that Paul, who got to see heaven, says he can't even describe it. The, the mind can't even conceive how wonderful it is. You can't set your expectations of heaven high enough. So when we get there, the reality of heaven is going to exceed any expectation that you possibly had of it. It will not disappoint. <laughs> Which means that heaven is a very happy place. Every day you're going to wake up and be like, what? I didn't know it was going to be this good. I can't believe it even got better. And it did. The perpetual, amazing joy that is ours, but also happiness in heaven is something we look forward to, we long for. It's amazing. But in this world, that is not what we experience. And the reality is that, that our happiness will never be able to exceed our experience in this world. And our experience in this world might be really good. Some of you have really great lives. And there are times that all of us have good things happen in our lives. And this is good, and we should be happy at those times. But you're... Your happiness will never exceed your experience. It's never going to be more than the gap between your experience and your expectations. That's as much happiness as you can ever have in this world. But joy is not contained by our experience. See, joy goes beyond that, and it adds hope on top of it. And the higher our hope is, the more joy we get. And our hope is in Christ Jesus, our salvation, the reconciliation of our souls with our great creator, God. The fact that he's going to make all things new and all things right. That all sickness and death and brokenness and sin will be put to shame and put to death forever. That we are made again for perfection. Something that has already happened in each one of us who has been saved by God's grace. The regeneration of our spirits is already here. And we wait in in wonderful expectation of what's coming next, because it's only going to get better. Our hopes are set high, which is why our joy is so high. But you know, it's not just that joy is better than happiness. It's that joy is better and greater than disappointment too. 
right? You had our expectations, and the world doesn't always live up to it, and so we're going to always have disappointment in this world. Well, guess what? Hope stacks on top of it. We have our reality, which sometimes disappoints, but guess what? If you're like Paul, and you're in prison for something that's totally unjust, and you might be killed, and you're frustrated because you want to tell people about Jesus, and you're behind bars, and the world is frustrating for you, guess what? Your hope isn't in for today. Your hope isn't in your circumstances. Your hope isn't in that I hope the, the government's going to do something righteous or good. What a silly hope that would be. Our hope is in our great God who is the King of kings and Lord of lords and who is sovereign over all things at all times. And there is no prison cell that can contain me. If God wants me out, he'll open it up. And if I'm here, he's got a purpose for it. So my hope isn't in my health. Maybe I'm going through something that I can't change. Well, guess what? My hope is in that I have a God who is a healer and he's got a brand new body for me. And even today, he could heal me at this moment. Or if he should choose not to, he's doing something in this moment. But I'm not going to be stuck like this forever. If, if you're struggling financially and it's difficult, and you're like, man, God, I keep trying and all these things are hard. Guess what? Your hope is not in your, your job or your their bank account, but the, your provider, your heavenly father, says if you seek him with all your all your heart with his kingdom and righteousness and above all else, he's got you. And he could bless you financially, he could bless you all if he wants to, and he may. But even if he doesn't, where you are now, he's at work within it. But your, your financial security is not locked into a bank account or a stock market or something so fragile as that. But in the sovereign God who owns all things, who has a history throughout the world of caring for his people, Blessing some and caring through others, even through poverty. We have a hope that is far beyond our disappointment. And maybe it's even just relationally. Maybe there's brokenness in your home or brokenness between friends. or It's just hard. And there doesn't seem to be anything you can do to make your marriage or your friendship or your relationship with your kids or grandkids the way that they, you wanted them to be. And even though you try, it just doesn't get there and you're disappointed. Your hope is not in you or your wisdom, your ability, or your smarts, or any of those things. Our hope is in Christ who can change any human heart, who's at work today, even now, with where you're at. That he's the one who changes hearts and minds and spirits and souls and draws people to himself. Our hope is not in, in this world or, or, or other people and their frivolous ability to be, you know, how I'm going to like you or not like you. No, our hope is in a God who says that he's going to make all things right all things new. This world will disappoint. It should disappoint. The disappointment of this world should draw us back to the throne of God and remind us that this world is broken and we've got something better coming. Just why? Hope is so much better than disappointment. You know, the disciples and, and the Pharisees and the shepherds, they looked at their Savior a little baby wrapped in cloths in a manger of all places and might be a little disappointed. But that little baby was God incarnate who destroyed sin on our behalf in a way they could never have contemplated, not could have never understood it. And now as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, we wait for his return. You see, Jesus gives us a better way to live outside of this horrible hamster wheel of, of happiness and disappointment, happiness and disappointment. He gives us a hope, and the ways that he does that is wonderful. If you remember what hope is, hope starts with our reality, and, or, or joy starts with our reality and adds hope. Look at this. Jesus improves both our situations. 
we have greater joy in Christ because what he starts with is that Jesus gives us a greater reality. Right? Our hope in Christ starts with the difference he makes in our lives. That the fact is that we have been saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You are saved if you have faith. That's amazing. You don't have to do anything else. It's not on your shoulders anymore. That, that there is peace on earth to the people, but God's favor rests that the armies of heaven aren't looking to squash you. That's a much better reality. That we don't have to, to be perfect anymore, but we can go to God and, and, and bring our imperfections and he's paid for them and then allow him to do his work in our heart as he slowly begins perfecting us. That's a better reality. The fact that now when we pray, you don't have to go to some temple. You don't have to wash yourself clean or anything else. You can talk to God any point of the day. That's an amazing thing. You're scared. You're terrified. Stuff's not going your way. Well, it says, don't be anxious. Instead, bring all your concerns to God with thanksgiving. And then what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. We just read that this morning. What a wonderful way to live. Do you know your reality is so much better? That before we were God's children, we lived as aliens to God's household, and so we weren't under his provision, but now you are his children? And so Jesus said, if you seek his kingdom and righteous and all else, you won't have to have live in the worry of want or fear. That even bad things in our life, we recognize that, that God is curating them for our salvation, for our sanctification. That he's working all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purposes. God gives us a better reality. That you live today in the, in the reality of God's grace, in the reality of his goodness, in the reality of his favor, in the reality of his sovereignty. You live today in the reality of the goodness of God. Wow. Well, that elevates my experience of this world a little bit, which elevates my baseline for joy. You know, in Luke 2, it says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And the reality is why? Because a Savior has been born to you. Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from this brokenness of this world. He saved us from the futility of a life lived only for this world. I mean, he saved us from so much. And he came. Our hope is sure. And God has made the difference. See, Jesus is living proof that God is trustworthy. Jesus is living proof that God is loving. Ephesians 4 then says this, the Lord is near. That's why he says to be rejoiced. That's why we're supposed to have hope. That's why we, it's not that, that our God is distant. not that our God is far away. It's not that we don't have, you know, we're on our own and hopefully we'll meet up with God when we get to heaven. The reality is that God is near. He's with us. We even prayed that this morning. We invited his Holy Spirit to fill the space, right? He's with us in our hearts, in our lives. He, he co-dwells within our souls that God is not far from us. The Lord is very near. And he's coming back. And every day it gets one day closer. So we have joy and the peace between us and God, the peace that allows us to have experience that we don't have to hope that God sees us from heaven and, and, and maybe find a, a pity upon our circumstances that he has experienced this world with us and he's at work with us. And so we live with purpose. 
Because we know that God is at work here. The Lord is near. He's doing something now. Just like Paul in prison was not discouraged, but in fact had great joy because God was at work even behind those bars. So, to find joy, joy is not something that just happens to us like happiness or, or disappointment. Joy is something that we are commanded to have. Rejoice always. And so how do we find this? How do we gain this joy by having this better experience? Well, we have to focus on the reality of Christ. Right? Look what, what Paul writes to the people. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you set your mind to the darkness of this world and to whatever is broken and what is vile and whatever is horrible, that's all you're going to see. And the disappointment and the darkness of this world will overcome you. Which is why Paul reminds us that we can't just look at the brokenness that is here, but look at the goodness of God here now that he's at work. That we have what is true. Jesus came. God loves us. Your sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. There is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent. If you set your mind and think on those things, you're going to be able to see the goodness of God even in the midst of difficult circumstances, right? And that changes our perspective of life. And that's a choice because when things are going lousy and our expectations doesn't match our reality, we want to look at that difference and, and, and wallow in self-pity, don't we? Be like, oh, so bad. But God invites us and actually commands us, rejoice always, again, rejoice, that we need to set our hearts and our minds on what is true, that our God has not given up. This, this is not a broken failure. Uh, this world is actually doing exactly what it was designed to do, and it is creating a people for him, that God is a, is a merciful and a good God, and he has already done uh, the work of, of destroying death and sin and brokenness. That's what we look at is his hand in this world today. And so we have a greater reality where we start at. You are in Christ. You've only begun to live. And what's coming next is so much greater than anything you could expect. Well, that's a great way to live. But guess what? Jesus doesn't just give us a greater reality. He gives us a greater hope. There are a lot of promises that we have in Christ that haven't been fulfilled yet. Not the least of which is that he's coming back. Not the least of which is that we get brand new bodies. Not the least of which is that we get to have a place in his heavenly home, right? That we, that we get to experience those things. That Jesus, yeah, he set us free from our sin and selfishness and sickness and shame, and yet still in this world we still struggle with those, don't we? But there's a day coming that you're not going to have a sin nature, right? There's a day coming where there will be no sickness, no death at all. There's a day coming when there will be no poverty. In fact, we're going to stroll on streets of gold just in case. How cool is that? So in this world, there's still a little darkness, but the light of the world has come, and there is a day coming when it will be noonday, and there will be no more shadow. We look forward to that day. In this world, we struggle with, with the bitterness of loss and of grief, with depression, with anger, and with death. But there's a day coming when righteousness will reign from every corner of, of, of all of creation, when there will never be anything that could possibly disappoint. This is what we look forward to. What a greater hope. And I want you to consider that versus the false hopes of false religions. Some of them, their greatest hope is that you just cease to exist. You reach nirvana and poof, you stop being you, and so you don't have to suffer anymore. Ooh, that's a great hope. Some of them, you get to have a, a planet populated by a bunch of different wives or something. I can't imagine that would be awful. 
right? Best chance you might get a bunch of, of ladies, you know. That's it. That's their greatest version of hope. God has given us a much better hope, and the greatest part is it's real. <laughs> and so Jesus came to save us for love, that, that we don't have to be self-centered, horrible, broken just black holes of darkness any longer that bring death into this world, but we can be agents of his light, demonstrating his goodness and his glory and his majesty and his mercy, and that we're commanded to shine good works so that others can see, so that they too can praise our Heavenly Father. That's a better way to live. He's promised us new bodies and health. I look forward to that. That's going to be great. He's promised us holiness. There's a day coming that I'm not going to struggle inside with the brokenness that's in here that sometimes does naughty and nasty things. That God will make me new and is making me new. And that there's a day coming that every portion of my soul and my heart and my being will be pure. He's promised us heaven. It's just a little better than this earth. But a new heaven, a new earth. See, our hope in Christ is so much more than the human mind can even comprehend. It's infinite, which is why our hope goes to such great stratosphere that no matter what's happening in this world, we have a greater hope. That's what we celebrate this week. That's what we remember. What a shame, what a pity, what a, what a tragedy to enter this season and set our hopes too low. To, to only experience happiness in this season when our high expectations somehow were met just a little bit. No. This is a reminder that we live in a perpetual hope with Christ. This is why the word says, and we are commanded to rejoice. Bring the joy back again. To remind yourself of the goodness of God. Don't deny your experience. Recognize whether you're happy or disappointed in this very moment to focus on Christ and to let God elevate your joy even higher and to live in that joy, especially now as we remember and celebrate the reality of the incarnation. So for you, how do you apply it? Connection card. I always invite us to take next steps. What a, what a horrible way to live if we didn't practice joy, right? One of the things you can do is memorize Romans 15, 13. That's our focus verse, our, our anchor verse for this whole series. Uh, you know, may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. May the God of hope. Isn't it wonderful that ours is a God of hope? And that he fills us with joy and peace. But after we trust in him, memorize that. Think about that. Maybe that God is the one that you need to, to be reminded of. That you need to trust in him right now. So, place that in your heart. We even put that on your connection card. It's a little perforated thing. Take that with you. Our God is good, and we have great reason for hope. Second thing I'm going to challenge you to do is read Luke chapter 1 and 2. Part of it was read for you today. I preached on it a little bit even, but it's so good because it reminds us the reality that our Savior came. God showed up. The incarnation is real. Maybe that's what you take some time this week and read that story. Something else you can do is pray with thanksgiving. In Philippians, it does tell us not to be anxious about anything. If you're tired of being anxious, it's what it tells us to do. It says... But in prayer and petition, right, we could request our, or present our requests to God with thanksgiving. Well, we pray with thanksgiving. We don't pray, thank you, God, for, be, for allowing me to be miserable. 
God, thank you that my world fell apart. Thank you that... No, that's, that's not good. That's, we don't want to be thankful for dumb things. We're thankful for who God is amongst the brokenness. God, you know, I, I, I'm worried I'm going to pay the bills. And I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm grateful that you're the, my provider. So help me. Give me wisdom, discernment, and help me provide. God, I'm, I'm broken right now. My body is really struggling. There are people I know are really, really sick. And I'm going to pray. I'm grateful that you're a God who hears. And you're a God who, who can heal in this moment. But ultimately, you will heal all of, all of your children. So thank you for you're the God who has the power to do it. So I'm talking to the right guy. God, I'm confused. I'm not happy about the fact I don't know what to do. But thank you that you're the God who knows all things. And you've told me that if I come to you and ask you for wisdom, you're going to give it to me without even asking questions. You see, that's how we pray with thanksgiving. Not thankful for our circumstances, but for who our God is specifically, how he's greater than your circumstances. So maybe that's how you need to pray this week. Step away from the anxiety. Step away from the disappointment and step into hope. Something else you want to do is practice Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, this week, think about such things. When you find your mind thinking about what is not pure or lovely or noble, change your mind, take captive your thought, redirect it back to the hope in Christ, and I guarantee you it will make a difference. And you will find that the hope will lead to great joy, and that joy will become evident to all. Now, of course, you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your first step, that needs to be it. Because if, if you want hope and peace with God so you can have this joy, it starts with Jesus, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you haven't made that step, that, com that commitment, you, we express that in our belief and our confession, our repentance and our baptism, our discipleship, and all kinds of ways in our life. But if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to start there. You need to start. Take that step into the new life so that you can live in the greater joy. And if you need to do that this morning, I'm going to be right over there after the message. And I encourage you to come and talk with me. And I'll help you take those steps of faith. In fact, if you just need prayer or encouragement, you can come chat with me as well. I'd love to pray with you. All right? Now, I've given us all something to do, a next step to take. I want you to consider what that is, that little prayer between you and God, and then mark it down on your connection card. Why? Because as your pastor, I'm going to be praying for you this week as you take those next steps. If you have any other prayer requests, write those down as well. And then uh, and after a moment, we're going to take those connection cards and we're going to drop them in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. And make this a commitment of yourself to God. All right? Let, let's pray for you as you make those commitments. Heavenly Father, what could we say? You're good beyond any explanation. You're good beyond any expectation. That you are infinitely good. It, it, it is beyond our capacity of our minds to, to fathom. And as good as you are, you're equally as just and equally as loving. And Lord, we, we find great happiness in the fact that, that you are real. You've exceeded our expectations. But better than that, right now we have a greater joy. We thank you for sending Jesus to this earth that you put on flesh so that we would know that you were real, that this wasn't just a story or a promise, but it's a promise kept. That you died on a cross, that our sins have died, that you, you, you've made peace between us and you, that even the armies of heaven have stood down and have declared peace between us and, and, and your heavenly world, Father. I, I'm just, I'm amazed by that. 
Father, this week, help us as a, as a congregation to live in the light of your joy. Help us to, wherever our experience is, to bring that to you, but to add on to them the hope that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray for the commitments that we're going to make today, and they would be one more just expression of our life, an open doorway for you to come into our life and, and to transform us from the inside out. And Father, I pray that that joy would then also, it would shine brightly into this world which is so filled with darkness and that others may see the goodness that we have because of you and uh, maybe get a glimpse of, of how good you are. Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings as well. Thank you, Lord, that you provide so richly for us. And, but Father, I pray that you would bless this church, not just financially, but with faith, deep faith. And that as you grow this church, that faith and that goodness would shine to every corner of this valley so that Estes Park will eventually and ultimately be saturated with the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Father, take all of these things and use them for your glory. We pray in Jesus' wonderful